All right, good afternoon. We'll, we'll try it again. Good afternoon. Yeah, I'll talk a bit more about it later. We're going to be a bit more responsive today than we are even on a typical Sunday at New Philly. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at New Philadelphia Church. I am uh, the executive director of worship. That's the official title that I'm given. What that means is that I oversee the praise and tech teams for all of our campuses and campus ministries, both in Korea and now in Australia. And uh, it's, a, it's a great privilege and blessing to work with wonderful, wonderful people like I have. The, the praise team today, was it a good time praise today? Good praise set? In, in the presence of the Lord. It was, I was really blessed today. And it's, it's so good to be up in the front. I'm not normally right there uh, in, that, in that seat. Sound guys, tech guys, great job. Everyone give them thanks. Come on, give thanks to the tech guys. And they're doing it without John Westfall, who's on vacation right now. So come on. Come on. All right, today is uh, it's a very special day, July 27th, which is actually my wife, Pastor Anita's birthday. So because I get the microphone, I get to say things like that. Uh, so if you see her later on, you can uh, wish, her happy, wish her a happy birthday. It's actually also uh, our daughter Olivia's seven-month birthday. Day, however you want to call that. She was born seven months ago, uh, December 27th. And so it has been uh, seven months of God's grace in a whole new way for us as, as parents. You need to uh, tap into the grace of God when you become a parent. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. As you, uh, you're probably gathering, Pastor Krishna is not here today. He's in Busan. Uh, he's ministering at our seaside campus, and so we're going to have a pause on our Wisdom and Relationships series, at least at Hillside, that we've been going through. We've had three messages on Wisdom and Relationships. Great message, very important, very timely for us as a community. Pastor Christian is actually preaching on that at our, our seaside campus, so you need to go check that out tonight. Uh, our tech guys will have it up by the evening on our Facebook page. Last week, if you were here, you... Uh, might remember that we were left on kind of a cliffhanger. Did, ladies, were you left on a cliffhanger last week? Do you remember the question he asked and didn't answer? I, some nervous laughing. I'm not sure how many people remembered it or not. He asked the question, is it okay for a sister, for a woman, to pursue a relationship? And people were waiting for the answer, like, well, you know, is it yes? Is it no? Like, like what? You know? And he said, no, we're going to wait you're going to get it at the Seaside message next week, so make sure you check that out later. Uh, today, we are going to talk about an area of our Christian faith that is very important to me. It's important to everyone, but I talk about it regularly. I talk about it often, largely because I'm a director of worship, and it's what I love to do. We're going to talk about a facet of worship today. Now, because I don't get to, because I'm, I'm usually busy with a number of other things, and so I don't uh, get the microphone that often in this context to preach. So I want to make the most of our time in regard to worship, because it's so important for us as a community to grow in our understanding of what worship is and how to go about becoming a better worshiper. Do you want to become better worshipers? Is that on your heart? For me... That's like the desire of my heart is to 
grow in worship day by day, to continue to get better and better at worshiping Jesus, and to help people around me get better at worshiping Jesus. When I, when I die, if, if I die before you know, the Lord returns, on my tombstone, I want something to say, to say something like, Jonathan Douglas Newfeld, he worshiped God well. Or he helped people worship God well. I want to be remembered as someone who helps people worship God. And so we're going to dive into that today. Are we ready for that? Yeah. You guys good? Now, at the outset of this message, we need to understand what worship is. I like to boil things down to their simplest parts often. Worship, we need to understand at the outset, is nothing less than a response. Worship is always a response to something or someone. Now, worship goes outside of the church. People all over the world, every human being, worships something or someone. They're all responding to something or someone. And you can't worship something or someone that you don't know. You can't worship something or someone that you haven't seen or haven't heard. Worship is always a response. Now, in terms of God, the extent to which we know God is the extent to which we'll be able to worship him. The extent to which we know what God has done for us is the extent to which we'll be able to worship him. Are you with me? If we have a small revelation of who God is, then our worship can only be very small. But if we have a revelation of God, of who God is and what he's done that's large, then our worship has the capacity to be great and big for our God. We want to grow in our revelation of who God is and what he's done because worship is a response. We want to worship God well. Our God is a God of great glory. Normally when I speak on worship, when I teach on worship, I like to focus in on that, who God is. That our God is a God of infinite glory and worth that our God is beautiful beyond all comparison that right now at this very moment there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels surrounding the throne of God a very real place and Jesus is the object of the affection and the adoration of heaven he's beautiful he's glorious and nothing compares to him And I love to press into that place, this truth of who God is, because we'll grow in our revelation of of who God is for the rest of our eternal existence. You know, that God is an eternal being. He's an infinite being. And we only know the slightest sliver of the greatness of the glory of God. Just the smallest bit. The greatest revelation you've received on earth of the greatness and glory of God is just the smallest piece of who he actually is. Because he's infinite in glory. You can't measure it. You can't get to the end of it. I love to press in right there. But today I'm not. Today we're going to press in (laughs) to a different facet of the revelation of God. And that is the facet of the revelation of what God has done for us. All right, Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual or your reasonable or your logical act of worship. 
in view of God's mercy, in response to what God has done, his mercy, what does that actually mean for us? In view of God's mercy, what has he done? What has he done for us? What God's calling us into today is to cultivate a life of thanksgiving. Not just coming to Sunday and thanking God, not just in your quiet times, not just when you go to a prayer meeting, but cultivating a life of thanksgiving. See, thanksgiving is a huge theme of the entire Bible, but I would say in the, in the epistles of Paul, it's very strong. The apostle Paul, who wrote a number of letters to different cities in the New Testament, he really keys in on thanksgiving. We're going to look at some of these passages right now. And you don't need to turn there. We're actually not going to turn in our Bibles to too much today. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture, and I don't want to be, uh, I don't want us to be slowed down in that. We're going to you can, if you want to find it now or later, you can do that. But looking at Ephesians 5, 19, 20, Paul says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always, in verse 20, giving thanks to God the Father for everything in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, give thanks at all times. There is always a reason for you to be thankful. And not always just a reason. You can be thankful about everything. Something about everything in your life, you can be thankful about that. There is a redeemable part of everything you're going through. And you can thank Jesus for that. Thank him. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Paul says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Be someone who overflows with thankfulness. We were at, uh, a few of us were at Hillsong uh, Conference a few weeks ago, and Pastor Brian Houston, he made a comment uh, that went something like this, it really struck me. He said, you can either make your mouth a wellspring of life or a sewer of defeat, but the choice is yours. You know, is it going to be overflowing with life and thanksgiving, or is it going to be a sewer of defeat and negativity? Overflow with thanksgiving, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. Again, there's always something to be thankful for in the situation you find yourself in. And this is interesting that the Apostle Paul writes this. He is pretty qualified, in a sense, to speak into this. Because he spent a whole lot of time in jail. He spent a lot of time getting beaten, getting shipwrecked getting abandoned by people. That was his life for many years of, of his life on earth. And he concludes by saying, be thankful. What does Philippians 4 say? Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Where is he writing that letter? He's in jail. And he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. The apostle Paul is saying, 
Be thankful. Cultivate a life of thanksgiving because it's always right for you to be thankful. So the big question for us today is this. How do we cultivate a life of thanksgiving? How do we cultivate a life of thanksgiving? If you're taking notes, that, that's the question today. That's the big question. And before we jump into this, we're going to, as I said before, we're going to be a bit more responsive. I don't know how much I'll do this today, but I'm going to give you a prompt. I'm going to give you a cue. And when you see that cue, everyone in the room is going to say together, thank you, Jesus. Okay? So it's actually going to be this. I'm going to put my hand up in the air. Right, okay, so this section right here. And this section here. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so you're going to help me thank Jesus in our message today. Are we ready for that? Because sometimes there is a burning in our hearts to be responsive in a message or during a praise set or whatever it might be. There's actually something in our hearts that makes us want to rise up and shout something. But because of the inhibitions we have, we just choose not to, right? So this is just to help you. Whatever is burning in your heart, even if it's not, you can, in faith, you can say, thank you, Jesus, you know? And, and so we're going to do that together as a community today, okay? So how do you cultivate a life of thanksgiving? Thank you, Jesus. I just did the, t- just again, <laughs> test, make sure we got it going. First way, cultivating a life of thanksgiving is to remember how Jesus saved you. Yeah, I get that down. Remember how Jesus saved you. You know, at one time, every person in this room was separated from God, was under the wrath of God, was bound and destined for hell. We had no hope in the world, you know, and we, that looked like different things for different people, you know, when you were unsaved before you met Jesus, before he intervened in your life and rescued you, some of you might have been, you know, up in the clubs, up in the bars, you know, getting drunk, sleeping around, that sort of thing. That may have been your life before Jesus rescued you. Or it might have been, you know, you were in a place of deep depression or darkness or fear or just deep loneliness you know, and, and that was what characterized your life before you met Jesus. For some of you, it's, it could have looked like you were doing all that you could to attain worldly success. Like you were in it for you. Money is your God. You know, fame and success is your God. Power is your God. That sort of thing. We were in all different places before we met Jesus. And that doesn't matter if you were, you know, young or old. Some of us were saved when we were five years old. Or before, some of us were saved maybe even last month or last week, you know, but we all had a time in our life where we were separated from God. We don't hold any kind of theology in this church that you can be a Christian in your mother's womb. I know some of you probably grew up with that theology. It's not uncommon in Korean churches to to teach that, but uh, we believe that salvation requires a response and that it's difficult to do that in your mother's womb. And so, 
there was a time at which we were not saved, right? It, so it looked like different things for different people. This is what the apostle Paul describes it as. In Ephesians 2, he says, as for you, he's talking to the whole group of people, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That was every single person's story before Jesus intervened in your life. Whether you realize it or not, whether you felt it or not, that's the truth of the matter. I think about my own life. The question, you know, you could ask is, what would your life look like now if it wasn't for Jesus? Like, where would you be right now if, if you just did not know Jesus ever? And I ask myself that I think I would probably be really depressed. I would be like really emo, probably. I, I would listen to very dark music. I'd probably have long hair and play very dark music. Oh, seriously, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what my life would look like if Jesus had not met me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, actually, I, I thought of that, you know, I took it to its logical conclusion. I thought, you know, there's a good chance I would be dead, to be honest. I could very well have killed myself if it wasn't for Jesus intervening in my life. But he did intervene in my life, and I stand here before you today to give testimony Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining me with that. Yeah. Just, just take a second. Like, think about what would, you li- what would your life look like now? For real. Where, where would you be? What would you be doing? You know? Just, you know, you can think about it more to you later. But... Uh, <laughs> I just want to hit it home right now. I want to make sure it hits home while we're here. Uh, Matthew 18, one of my favorite parables. Again, you can turn there if you'd like. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Um, you can have a look. If you do have a look, I should give you the verses it's found in. Let me do that. At verse 21, parable of the unmerciful servant. I love this story. What Jesus is doing, he's, he's uh, addressing a question, an issue regarding forgiveness. And he tells a very interesting story. Just to summarize it for you, what happens is there is a king. And this king is settling accounts with his servants. And he, so this king has many servants. And these different servants owe him different amounts of money and it's time for collection. It's time for them to pay up because they owe him money. And so there's one servant in particular who is brought before the king and he owes him a lot of money. It's basically the equivalent of 20 years wages is what it comes to. And so if you say, 
made $50,000 a year or 50 million won a year, over 20 years, that would be, someone quick with math, $1 million. Very good. Whoever that was. <laughs> so it's like, a, it's, it's a debt that the man could never start to pay off. In his context, he would have had no chance to pay off this debt. And so the king brings him in before him and, uh, and he says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to force you to sell all of your possessions, sell your wife, sell your children, everything you have. You're going to have to sell it off and give that to me just to start to repay this debt. And the man begs him and he says, be patient with me and I'm going to pay back everything. All that money that I could never possibly pay back. I don't know what he was thinking, I, but he's saying, be patient and I'll just, I'll pay back everything. Just wait, give me a chance. Okay. Could you imagine that kind of debt hanging over your head? And for our context, it might be more than a million dollars because this man had no way of doing it. For us, it's like, it's, it's a debt that you could never possibly imagine to pay back. You know, maybe it's like, it's credit card debt. Like you just went crazy with your credit card and you racked up over time a debt of millions of dollars. And you got to do something about that. And there's no, there's no bankruptcy, you know, in this context. It's like, there, it's, it's hopeless, right? Or it, whether it was like a business deal that went bad. Like you invested a ton of money into something. You borrowed a ton of money, invested it. And, and lost it somehow. You've got a debt of millions of dollars over your head. You could never possibly imagine paying it back. How would you feel? How hopeless and desperate would you feel if that was your situation, the world would not look like a bright place. You know, it would not be, <laughs> it would not be, it would be a very difficult existence, a very difficult life. You would have probably deal with a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of hopelessness. If you were in Korean context and you were not in the church, you would almost certainly kill yourself because that's really common in this country, right? So that's, that's the place where you're in. And so this servant begs the king, please be patient with me. And the king looks at him and he says, okay, your debt is forgiven. You're free. You don't owe me any money. You can go on your way, take your wife, take your kids, and go in peace. Could you imagine what that would feel like? Like if that was you, and you just had that debt that was hanging over your head, and it was taken from you. You are now totally free. You are debt free. What, what would you do? Like when you left that room, where would you go? 
You know, what would you respond with? Or the other side of things, say you left that room and, you know, say you go onto the subway, you're in Korea, you know, and, and some Ajuma or Ajashi bumps into you, right? It happens sometimes, right? Would you get really upset about that? Would you like, would you make a big deal and shove them back or say something? You probably wouldn't shove them back. That would be scary. <laughs> that could cause more problems. But I mean, or say you're driving. I know not many people here drive in Korea, but you're driving and someone cuts you off. Are you going to be really upset about that? You're like, who cares? I am debt free. This is the best day of my life. I don't care. Punch me in the face. I don't care. You know? That's probably how we would feel. And the truth of the matter is, this is our story. This is every person who's experienced salvation in Jesus. This is your story. You owed God a debt that you could never possibly begin to repay him. You were under the eternal and infinite wrath of God without a hope in the world. And Jesus died for us in our place for our sins, setting us free eternally from all condemnation, all sin, all death forever. Come on. Come on. Give him praise. Come on. And that, that's no less true today than it was the day we got saved. So why do we get so upset about things? Why do we get so worked up about things that are in comparison very, very small and insignificant? You are saved. You're free. Come on. Forever. You know? The, your future sins, they've already been paid for. You know, Jesus isn't dying again for your sins. It's all been paid for. Through faith in him, we are set free forever. Praise Jesus. It's, it's so easy to lose sight of that and to move outside of a place of thanksgiving when the only reasonable response, going back to Romans 12, right? Romans 12, therefore, in view of God's mercy, mercy is not receiving something you were supposed to receive that was bad, Right? That's our story. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual or your reasonable act of worship. A life of thanksgiving. Every day, you wake up and you're a free person. This morning, you woke up, you're free. Tomorrow, you're going to wake up Monday morning. You might not enjoy Monday morning, but you're a free person on Monday morning. Okay. So the first way to cultivate a life of thanksgiving is to remember how Jesus saved you. Second way, remember how Jesus has continued to save you. He did not just save you once on that day. He continues to save you, to pour out mercy and grace on you in so many different ways every day. Luke 17 gives an account of 10 lepers. All right, these, they were 
technically, they actually may not have had leprosy. The word that, that's used in the Greek describes a, a wide range of skin diseases, but they call it leprosy in most translations. And so these 10 people with leprosy, they were uh, kept outside of cities, outside of towns. They were outcasts to society. However, they initially received leprosy, we have no idea, but they lived a very depressing, dark life kept outside of the camp, outside of cities, outside of towns. And what happens with leprosy is that over time, you, you lose feeling. You have, it's a skin disease. You lose feeling, and your body begins to deteriorate over time because you can't feel when something happens to you. And so, especially in that context, they were considered unclean. Wherever they went anywhere, they would have to shout out to people around them, unclean, unclean, so that people knew to stay away from them. All right? Very depressing existence. And one day, they saw Jesus walking near him, near them. And they already knew. He, they couldn't run up to Jesus and, and do anything. They couldn't run up to him and, and grab him or ask him anything. At a distance, it says, they cried out to Jesus for him to save them, for him to rescue them. Jesus, at a distance shouts back, go, tell the, go, go show yourselves to the priest, is what he says. That's all he says. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. And they knew that the priest was where they would go if they wanted to be deemed clean at some point. The priest decided either they're unclean with a skin disease or clean with no skin disease. And so without you know, telling them you know, you're healed, without laying a hand on them, without anything like that, he says, go show yourselves to the priest. So they go forth from that place. They go show themselves to the priests. And on the way there, it says, they became healed as they were going on their way. Ten of them, okay? Nine of them keep going on with their regular lives as if it wasn't that big of a deal. One of them came back to thank Jesus, fell at his feet, says, and thanked him. And actually, if you look at the Greek, he actually acknowledged him as, as God in that sense. He, he actually received salvation at the same time. But I look at my own life and I wonder, how many times do I pray for things? Do I ask God for things? And I get those things. And then I don't go back to Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus. You know, for real, thank you. I was in a, a kind of a desperate place, a def, desperate spot. I needed your grace really bad at that point. And then God gave me his grace at that point. And then I went on with my life as if nothing had ever happened or as if it wasn't that big of a deal. You guys ever have that happen to you? You know? When Jesus is just, he, he's looking for us to be grateful. You know, I, I just work supernaturally in your life. A thanks would be nice, you know? Like, acknowledge me. But we've all been saved in different ways since our salvation experience, whether it was big ways or small ways. I think about uh, some of the things that stand out for me over the last while was um, an experience I had with my wife just before we got married, actually. 
we didn't have a lot of money looking for an apartment, but it's, you know, it's basically the biggest thing leading up to a wedding besides the wedding itself is finding a place to live in. Right. And so it was, we had been looking for a place for months and we had specific things we were praying for specific things we were looking for in that apartment, but nothing we found fit. Nothing we found, and it just wasn't very good situations everywhere we went for what was open at that time. And we were getting down to the wire. It was one month before the wedding, three weeks before the wedding, two weeks before the wedding, and I'm starting to cry out to the Lord. Like, because I'm, I'm the man, <laughs> I, I got to figure these things out, right? I mean, you do it together, but it ultimately stops with the man. You know, he's got to make sure things get figured out. And my family was flying in. I had friends flying in for our wedding. And I needed to get this thing figured out right away. And it was basically at the last possible, it was, it was the week before. And I was just finishing up school at the time. I was uh, finishing up my final exams. I was graduating right away. Pretty potentially stressful time. It, it was a stressful time. I admit it, it was. Uh, <laughs> and, and it was about a week before and uh, we had a, a Budongsan um, realtor. That's what you call them in English. Sometimes I forget. Uh, yes. Becoming more Korean all the time. Uh, show us, like she had shown us a bunch of places that day and then she showed us this one more place. And we walk into the apartment and it had every single thing we asked the Lord for. Every single thing we had prayed for. And we wish at that point we had prayed for more. <laughs> like, because we got everything we prayed for. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. It was, and we, like, we didn't have parking. But we, couldn't, we didn't pray for parking. We, think, we were thinking afterwards, why didn't we ask the Lord for a parking spot? You know, why didn't we ask the Lord for an elevator? It didn't have an elevator. Things we didn't think of at that time. But had every single thing we asked for. And at that point, yeah, we did as a couple say, thank you, Jesus. You answered and you rescued, in a sense, us from potential homelessness <laughs> as a couple. I think of uh, the the uh, delivery of our daughter just seven months ago today. That was a very difficult day for Pastor Anita especially and for myself. But it was, uh, Olivia was really big <laughs> because she has, she had a white person's head in the womb, but a Korean body <laughs> otherwise. She's half Korean, half white. And uh, my wife is Korean, and Koreans are typically smaller, and so it gets kind of complicated and difficult. Uh, and it was just, it was a really, uh, a really difficult labor for, for my wife. And they actually, the nurses had to send me out of the room a number of times because they were doing things to Anita's body that were I to see what they were doing, I might have lost it on them. Because, like, they... If you haven't heard, sometimes they, they'll like jump on top of the pregnant woman, get their elbow in there, and so yeah, for real. And they'll like they'll like try to do everything they can to move the baby out of the womb. Yeah, 
I speak forth grace over future pregnancies and deliveries in this room right now. So I, I'm getting kind of, and the reason, yeah, the reason they get the, the husband out of the room is because they've had interference in the past where the husband sees that and is like, what are you doing? And jumps on them, you know, and like, stop that. You're hurting my wife. Uh, but so there were a number of times I'm, I'm in the hallway. I am pacing back and forth. I am declaring the word of God. I'm, decree- I'm, I'm praying in tongues back and forth in the hallway and I'm, I'm doing everything I can, crying out to the Lord, you know, because it was actually, it, it wasn't looking very good for a bit. It was looking like it was going to, you know, require surgery. Um, it was going to be really complicated. And in that place of walking back and forth and crying out to the Lord, and I was there by myself too. I didn't have a translator with, uh, with me or anything. It was at a, it was like in, in the morning, um, and a lot of people they just couldn't be there. And uh, so I felt very alone in a sense, but I'm crying out to the Lord God, save my wife and my baby in the situation. And, uh, and then I get, one of the nurses comes out to me and says, you know, I don't even know what she said because it was in <laughs> Korean. <laughs> but whatever she said, I got the idea. Now, what she did, she gave me like a gown to put on. You've got to put a gown on and go because it's a lot of stuff there that you should wear a gown and gloves. And... <laughs> and I come in and I cut the umbilical cord for my daughter. And I see her and I see my wife. And I'm just filled with gratitude and say, Thank you, Jesus. You answered my prayers. You were faithful. You showed yourself faithful to me. Thank you, Jesus. He saved us in so many different ways. He's so good to us every single day. There are so many things we can give thanks to the Lord for. It's it's not just... The big things. It's, it's God being faithful in everything. Second Timothy 2. Interesting statement that Paul makes. He says, even if we're faithless, God will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. He is and he always will be faithful to us. And so he invites us to give thanks to him in the small things in the day-to-day things, in all the blessings that we have today for, you know, for the house that you live in. For your job. For a cool breeze on a hot day. For air conditioning. For mosquitoes. Oh, I just wanted to try that. Just see if people were mindlessly saying, thank you, Jesus. That's a lesson for sermons that you find yourself in. Don't just mindlessly say amen. You've got to make sure. Be sincere. I don't think there's anything redeemable about mosquitoes. Except that they are food for dragonflies. Thank you, Jesus. 
God delights in giving us good gifts. He's a good father. It says in, in James 1, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good thing in your life is from Jesus. Air conditioning was invented by a man, but that man was inspired by Jesus. <laughs> and we can thank Jesus for that. Living lives of gratitude, living lives of thanksgiving. We have so many good things in our lives. Matthew 7 says, you know, you fathers, like who if you are son if your son asked for a stone, or if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone. Or if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake. You know, no father would do that. It says, even though you are evil, you still give good gifts to your sons and your daughters. How much more, your heavenly father, who's perfect, how much more is he going to give you good gifts if you ask him for them? He's a good father, and he waits for us to ask him. But even that... He doesn't always wait for us to ask him. He just is so gracious to us for the things that we ask for, the things that we don't ask for. God is gracious every day in our lives. And we all say together, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, that's the second way to remember how Jesus has continued to save you and pour out his grace upon you. Third way, remember how Jesus has promised to save you. Remember how Jesus has promised to save you. It's not just about what he's done in your life up till this point. It's about what he's promised to do in your life for the rest of it. And this kind of split up into two different areas. The first one is thanking him in advance for the promises he's given to you while you're waiting for the answers to your prayers. I'll say that again. Thanking him in advance for the promises he's given to you while you're waiting for the answers to your prayers. So you've prayed. We've all probably prayed, or many of us have prayed certain things that we have not seen the fruition of or the fulfillment of. And we're in that, that tension time. We're praying, we're believing God for those things, but they haven't come yet. And that's probably something for everyone. There's something we're waiting on the Lord for. God, I'm waiting for breakthrough in this. I'm waiting to see your grace in that. But what God invites us to do in the place of waiting on him is to thank him in advance for what he's already promised to give you. Thank him in advance for who he is and what he will do in your life. It says in, in Philippians 4, My God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He will do it. He is, his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. He is not a man that he should lie. He will provide for you. You can read that passage and say, thank you, Jesus. You can be saying, God, I need provision for my schooling. Man, hearing that testimony, so encouraging. Judy's testimony, wasn't it? Yeah. Come on. I'm waiting for breakthrough, for provision in that. But while I'm waiting, I say, 
Thank you, Jesus. You've promised to provide. I can trust you. I will stay in the place of thanksgiving. I will cultivate a life of thanksgiving because I know it's already mine because of your promises for me. Thank you, Jesus. Or maybe it's something that you're, maybe a sin pattern or something you're struggling with. You need breakthrough in some other regard. But you know God promises to give breakthrough in those things for those who trust in him. Or maybe it's wisdom. God, I need wisdom for this particular situation. I don't know what to do. We all find ourselves in those situations, right? I have a decision facing me. I have these choices to make. I don't know what to do. James 1 says that if you lack wisdom, God will give generously to all without finding fault. If we ask in faith, for that wisdom. Thank you, Jesus, for the wisdom you've already promised to give me. Thank you. I haven't seen the fulfillment of it, but I thank you for it in advance. It also means thanking him in advance for the inheritance we have in Christ. The eternal inheritance we have in Christ. You know, we're only on this earth for a short time. It's been said this. It was said, uh, I believe, by John Bevere one time. You know, if you take any finite number. Am I going to get this wrong? If you take any finite number and you divide it by infinity. Is that right or is it the other way? That's right. Take any finite number and divide it by infinity. The answer will always be exactly zero. So if you were to live on earth for 100 years, compared to the scope of eternity, you live here for exactly zero time. That's the mathematical reality of it, for those of you who like math. If you were to live on this earth for 1,000 years, in comparison to your eternal existence beyond your life here, you will have lived for exactly zero time on earth. Our lives are like the snap of a finger. They're like a mist, it says in James. Very soon, we'll be with Jesus. For those of, those of us who have trusted in him for salvation, we'll be with Jesus. And we'll be enjoying the eternal inheritance that he's promised us in him. It says in 1 Peter 1, that we have an inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or fade. It's there waiting for us right now, but it's not like something on earth that gets rusty over time. It's never going to perish. It's never going to spoil. It's never going to fade. It's waiting for the day that we're going to be with Jesus. And the greatest treasure of all is that we get to be with Jesus and enjoy him for eternity. We're not here very long, and it's always appropriate to thank God for the day when we will be with him forever. He has saved us and he's rescued us so we would live eternally here right now and so that we'd live eternally as well with him in glory forever. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. This is for our entire life. It's having a mindset. It's having a heart set of thanksgiving. It's living with that daily reality that I wake up today and I'm a free person. I wake up today 
And I'm totally blessed. What Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God couldn't think of one more thing to give us than he's already given us and that we already possess. That's an incredible truth. You already have access to the very best things God could ever give you in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And the truth is that we are all going through or all have gone through very difficult things. Things that would make it very difficult for us to praise the Lord. You know, whether that's losing a job, losing a family member, having financial difficulties, having hardships in life, going through sickness or illness, whatever it might be, having struggles in different ways. We all go through things that make it very difficult for us to thank Jesus. But the greater reality is that Jesus has saved us, he continues to save us, and he will save us. And we can always thank God for that. I'm going to ask the, the praise team to come up. We're going to have a time of thanksgiving here right away. Let's take a bit of time to pray first. Let's respond in the place of prayer. Father, we thank you. You've given us every reason to be thankful unto you. You rescued us. You brought us from darkness and death into light and life. You brought us from orphanness into sonship. We thank you.